Workday afternoon replay from Money FM 89.3. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Good afternoon and welcome to Market View on Money FM 89.3. I'm Clarissa Montero, joined as usual by finance presenter J.P. Ong. It is happy looking Tuesday. happy Tuesday, happy Green Day. Mm-hmm. It looks very nicely green across the region. Extending gains from yesterday too, right? Yep. And you said there was some well, there was some good news. Uh, there was um, a little bit of good news, or maybe just some uh, stubborn optimism from the <laughs> markets ahead of the U.S.-China trade talks. Now, these these gains are happening despite the fact that uh, that the rhetoric or the tension seems to be ramping up. Now, as we approach the day, there are concerns that we're going to be in for a rough first couple of minutes during those trade talks because overnight we heard that uh, that the U.S. government. The Commerce Department, that is specifically, has placed 28 Chinese public security bureaus and companies on a U.S. trade blacklist because of what they said is Beijing's treatment of Uyghur Muslims in the northwest of China, in Xinjiang region, and other predominantly Muslim ethnic minorities. And among these is a video surveillance company called Hikvision that specializes in security cameras and facial recognition. So these are have been placed on the entity list ahead of the talks. U.S. President Donald Trump also saying today that uh, he prefers a broader trade deal or a comprehensive tra- uh, trade deal with China once again. So, And as we know, China is moving to try and narrow that list. So we don't know if they're going to be able to, to come to an agreement or a consensus on, on how narrow or broad the scope is for those talks. And that, that leaves a couple of question marks uh, coming to Thursday in Washington, D.C. when uh, Vice Premier Liu He heads over there to meet with Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer and also U.S. Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin. Nevertheless, the good news is they are set to meet and talk. And uh, because of that, I think I think markets are just pricing in a little bit of optimism before that. Very cautious. We're seeing the Straits Times Index up by about half a percent. We're at 300, uh, 3,116 points so far. Value turnover, a little bit better than we've seen in recent weeks. About 400 million Singapore dollars so far in trades changing hands today. So it's still a touch thin when you look at, at the whole year daily average, but then a lot better than we've seen in the last three to four weeks. The rest of the region looking good too as well. The Nikkei 225 is looking particularly strong today, not just because the Japanese yen has weakened above 107 to the dollar, but it seems that the U.S. and Japan have struck their own interim trade deal as well. It's a bit limited in scope, but they have agreed to drop key agricultural subsidies for U.S. Good, uh, agricultural products and Japanese agricultural products as being one of the linchpins of this deal. So this just giving a little bit of easing in terms of these, uh, the overall tense global trade environment. This is giving the Nikkei 225 some room to breathe. They're up by about 1% today. And as you know, Chinese markets are back online today. Shanghai and Shenzhen looking pretty strong mm-hmm. uh, in today's open. They have returned. Usually when markets are absent or on a, on a holiday for on an extended break, when they do come back, you've got investors and traders coming in to try to make up for lost time, perhaps to play a little bit of catch up. So you might see just a little bit of activity c- c- rushing in because it's like pent up activity for these markets. Even the Hang Seng today is, is, uh, is trading about 0.8% higher. But when you check on who is gaining and who isn't in, in Hong Kong today because of those protests that we that we saw over the weekend. Well, you'll see that uh, there are a couple of notable or familiar losers at the bottom of the Hang Seng today. Among them, the MTR down again by half a percent. Their train, their stations have taken quite a beating over the last couple of days of protests. Um, uh, some some of the uh, some of the notable 
uh, property developers like New World, Link Real Estate, also among the worst performers out in Hong Kong. But you do have uh, the, your top three, the, ph- the pharma companies listed in Hong Kong today, Sinobiopharma, CSPC, and also the Hong Kong Exchange trading higher mm-hmm. after they decided to abandon that massive takeover bid for the London Stock Exchange. And because they've decided not to spend all of that capital, which was about 37 billion U.S. dollars to try and take over the LSE. Well, it seems that the investors are saying, you know, good job. That is the right move. And they are uh, back in business. They're up by 3.1 percent. So far, Hong Kong is looking okay. But again, sentiment there, case to case. And uh, and overall, the, the picture, at least across the region, pretty green. Okay. Now, here's a question for you. Coming into the trade talks between the Chinese and the American, it does feel like the Americans have one agenda and the Chinese have another. Mm. That's already going to be a bit of an interesting high. Let's mm-hmm. sit down now. The other thing is, this is it feels like the first time the Americans are introducing a political angle into the negotiations with the Uyghurs. Mm-hmm. I wonder what that's about, well, really. I don't know if it's going to figure, per se, in the talks itself, but the fact that it's happening 48 hours before mm-hmm. the resumption, or about 60 hours before the resumption of U.S.-China trade talks, um, it will raise the temperature, possibly. I'm wondering they, how much of that speak. is grandstanding about the re- elections more than the talks themselves. Well, I think it might be just a little bit of both, where you're seeing... Uh, and and you know, we've seen this also. This has been sort of the uh, the trade uh, strategy, at least, if, if uh, for lack of a better term from the Trump administration, really tightening the screws whenever you come to a particular uh, a meeting also and just be holding this very firm and rock-solid position of all or nothing. Mm-hmm. And this, and again, I think it's more, again, it goes back to this uh, discussion we've had before about the, the differing negotiation styles where you see China sort of just chipping away at small concessions saying, let's take this bit by bit, whereas you have Trump bull rushing in mm-hmm. and saying, hey, I want all of this or nothing at all. Mm-hmm. So I, I so I I think the these these uh these issues. I mean, is it coincidental that they're bringing up some of the issues with Hikvision and what's happening in the Xinjiang region in China at the moment? I don't. It's I I, I doubt it's it's entirely coincidental at the moment. But it's going it it might make things a little bit more difficult to achieving a possible trade deal, especially given it's going to be something else that Liu He will have to deal with on his plate when he heads to Washington D.C. on uh, Thursday when they kick off uh, the discussions on Thursday night our time. And who knows what other things might be brought forward in the next couple of days mm. before they start talking. Mm. And uh, mind you, also, I mean, China has said that no, we don't want to include any talk or discussion of Hong Kong. But this has also become a bit of a. It's becoming a growing topic among legislators in the U.S. about creating laws to law, laws to address what's going on in Hong Kong. Of course, China's also said, "Hey, back off! This is this is happening in our backyard. This is a domestic issue." And you've also got the protesters in Hong Kong saying, "Saying, hey, Trump Help. administration, please yeah. do come out, come come and save us." Or at least some factions of the protesters are asking for that. Um, a bit of a can of worms also, and uh, and we, we thought that they were only going to talk about trade and possibly buying more soybean and pork, right? Right. More bacon. I could never, never not support more bacon. <laughs> 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 All right, Samsung. You know, it wasn't what I thought it would be based on all the excitement over the, the news. But you're telling me it's better than it could have been. Yes, or it could have been. It's better than, yes, it's, it's, it's a better figure only, only because the analysts were painting a very dismal picture for Samsung Electronics. They were expecting um, operating profits to come down significantly. Now, mind you, it still did come down quite a bit. In fact, operating um, uh, income for Samsung actually came down about uh, more than 50%, actually, to about $6.4 billion U.S. dollars. But it's still better than the... Uh, 
it's still better than what analysts were expecting also. also. And I think this is what folks were hoping for. When Samsung released their earnings also, they did point out that they're benefiting from solid demand for the Note 10. Mm-hmm. And also, surprisingly, from the Apple's iPhone 11 Pro. Because keep in mind that Samsung isn't just Apple's arguably largest competitor in the world. They're also one of the key suppliers for Apple, especially for their OLED display. So they, they seem to be benefiting from both sides. A strong demand for the Note 10. Also strong demand for Apple's newest iteration of the iPhone also. And a number of analysts out in Seoul have actually said these are better than expected results from Samsung and it's causing a lot of them to actually think that the the downturn in the semiconductor and the and the microchip business is starting to bottom out also. You've got the likes of Park Sung Soon, an analyst at Cape Investment, saying it's better than expected results because the mobile business also made a huge improvement for Samsung. You've got uh, analysts at Macquarie Investments in Seoul also saying that seven, it's less than half of the year ago level, what we saw in the third quarter, but it's still not that bad, and that the semiconductor industry might indeed be heading for a turnaround in this cycle. Mm-hmm. Now, we this is going to be very interesting to watch because now the question is, can Samsung sustain this and really add more evidence? And will... And will better results down the road from Samsung or some other contemporaries in the microchip space also point to a possible rebound and support this argument that, hey, you know, I think things are starting to turn for the better in this space. Because it will also mean a lot of the tech manufacturers and the equipment suppliers that are based in Singapore um, that supply the microchip space also might also see a bit of a turnaround. And, and they also do have certain facilities here that also supply components or even microchip wafer assemblies here in Singapore. So, And, and if we start to see this uh, turn around... Maybe this could also be the spark plug that's needed to ease the pressures we're seeing with regards to our contracting manufacturing PMI figures. And this is why Samsung's figures, since they are arguably the largest uh, producer and consumer of microchips also and semiconductors in the world, if they start to point at a possible easing of these pressures or these contractionary pressures, then maybe that will also translate to some of these other manufacturing hubs, such as, say, Singapore. Right. Mm. Well, I, I hope that it is a sign of better things to come, because after all the months of talking about the tensions on the trade war and the fallout from that, it would be nice to talk about something else. Mm-hmm. I think so. And uh, it's something more tangible at that as well. Yeah. And because this uh, trade, uh, it could be related to the trade war because you're seeing a, a slowdown in demand. But just regardless, there were uh, fears that the global demand and global growth was going to slow down. So thus, you would see less demand for some of these items mm-hmm. and thus also feed into supply chains, feed into certain industrial bases. Um if we start to see this uh, show signs of easing amidst the trade war uncertainty also, that could be a good sign because it also it also begs the imagination of, well, how good could this, tur- this turnaround be if we didn't have the trade war also? Right, right. right. So, hmm. All right. Now, I have done several interviews in other segments on my show with people from AI. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that continually comes back is how important AI is in the hiring process of executives and managers, which I've always personally felt a little uncomfortable about because you are writing your resume a certain way to get the AIs to pick you, Mm -hmm. not necessarily how you would write your resume if you knew a human was reading it. Right. But so here's a question. J.P. Ong, yes, would you ma'am. interview with an AI? Well, that wouldn't be Jim. my... 
Well, that wouldn't be my call. That would be DBS's call because Jim apparently is their new employee of the month. He is a chatbot that works for the largest bank at DBS, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, apparently, according to DBS, it's been, uh, it's been helping them select good candidates for their growing wealth management business. DBS has also indicated that they wanted to grow their wealth management bases in, ba- in Thailand, for one, and other regions in the ASEAN space. So they're going to need to beef up that particular mm-hmm. um, workforce or their, their army of wealth managers, for lack of a better term. Jim has been helping them do that. It's an artificial intelligence or AI program that, uh, that sped up and improved the quality of initial screening for so-called wealth planners. So it's more of the vetting system, really. I, I, I sure. would be... I, I would be a bit surprised if they let Jim handle the entire hiring process, but at least it helps them separate the wheat from the chaff. And there, apparently there are certain keywords you can look at from someone's application mm-hmm. w- uh, with regards to, uh, to, to, uh, to those hires. But it seems that it helped uh, DBS at least speed up the process of really going through some of these applications and getting the right people in on board. It's just fascinating to see that DBS, which is, was voted the world's best bank because of this digitization push, isn't mm-hmm. just digitalizing or, or, or digitizing with regards to bank transactions and bank processes. They're also doing it to help them on the back end in terms of boosting their, 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 the number of candidates. About a third of the candidates who passed Jim's vetting went on to get jobs with DBS. So it's not like Jim has the final say on anything. He just says, hey, maybe you want to take a closer look at these guys. Okay, 33% of them got through. Mm-hmm. All right. But it seems that Jim at least is, is uh, proving to be their, uh, the, um, I guess, the, the guard at the first gate for DBS. Just getting rid of a lot of these. I used to fret about HR managers, especially when I was a struggling business school student. I always mm-hmm. wonder, like, why did, why did so-and-so reject my application? Why didn't I pass this one? Until one day I got to work closely with, an HR, with the HR department in, my, in one of my previous jobs in a previous career life. Mm-hmm. And I just saw how tiring and taxing it was on them to really filter through some of these uh, some of these hires and you had to get hands on because sometimes the HR managers didn't understand well what exactly are you looking for in terms of a fund in terms of an sure. investment analyst in terms of an asset in terms of an equity analyst so you had to take a bit of a hands on approach also but combing through some of these some some of these CVs and really just narrowing it down and saying okay who's serious and who's not it's a bit of a task i i wouldn't blame HR managers now that i've seen it up front just how grueling their, their jobs are to try and get try to get an AI chatbot named Jim to help them out. So a chatbot named anything really. Yeah, it could be anything. You could call him Susan for all I care. <laughs> <laughs> as long as they passed you through that first event. Yes. Thank you, Susan. <laughs> so. Oh, thanks, Susan. All right. So rest of the day, we've got an, a better value turnover today than we've had in previous days. Today, is it a billion dollars? Um, today, there's a good chance. I think. I think. Um, I wouldn't say it's a, it's a slam dunk. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a good chance we might hit a billion dollars because the last time we did this, it was about a week or two ago, mm-hmm. actually, we were seeing value turnover around this level as well. And uh, there is some positive momentum for the Straits Times Index also. So this could also, you, you could see value turnover continue to, to build its momentum also. Right. I, I, maybe a 40% chance that we All might right. see it. I mean, it's a lot better than, uh, it's, a lot, it's a lot better odds than I would have given it, say, if you asked me yesterday, yesterday. for instance, right? <laughs> All right. Yeah. Okay, so what you need to do is to make sure that you stay with us on Money FM 89.3 and don't forget, JP comes back for prime time from 4 p.m. and he will have the latest then and you will find out if you're not watching it yourselves if indeed we made and crossed that billion dollar mark on the SDI today. This has been Market View on Workday Afternoon. I'm Clarissa Montero along with J.P. Ong.
Before acting on the information on MoneyFM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.